Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. And welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast presented to you by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to live your bet life. I am Will Gottlieb, and I am here, as always, with my good mate, Mark K. Mark Karanzoulis, down in Australia, joining me. And today we're going to be talking about a Bulls season preview, some predictions, some projections, and some of the major storylines going on. But first, Mark, thank you for joining me. How are you doing, mate? I'm well, mate. I'm well. Going well. It's been a, a nice weekend. Had a nice weekend. Ready to uh, attack the new week. And it's a, it's a fun new week because the Bulls are back. NBA season, about no that? preseason games, actual real stuff that matters. Um, it's Yeah, it's just fun to be talking Bulls again and it mattering again. So um, looking forward to this conversation and many more, William. Uh, we always like to joke around that the Bulls are back, but this is one of the rare occasions where you can actually say the Bulls are back and it be true because the Bulls are playing a game this week. They're playing many games this week, actually. They're first on Wednesday night against the Miami Heat in Miami. Uh, they're then going to Cleveland, or I'm sorry, Washington on Friday, Cleveland at home for the home opener at the United Center on Saturday. So big week to kick things off. Um, but let's talk about some big picture storylines here just to kind of preview the season and go over uh, what we think is going to happen, what we think is reasonable to expect, because this is a really interesting season coming off of, um, you know, as, as we've talked about a million times over the past however long, just a super exciting and thrilling and surprising first half of last season where the Bulls truly looked like, you know, one of the top teams in the East and then a truly epic meltdown of just epic proportions where they finish the season terribly, get smacked in the playoffs, and then an offseason where they don't do much. They sign Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond, who I have to say are, uh, I'm starting to see the appeal a little bit more. Obviously, I don't think they're going to be real needle movers, but I have enjoyed covering them so far. Um, but I think really, at the end of the day, it all kind of boils down to the top-end talent on this team. So let's start there. Mark, DeMar DeRozan was... Uh, just a masterpiece of a season last year. Do you think he can replicate what he did last season again and, and take the Bulls to, whether it's a new height or just to the same height that they reached last year? Do you think he has that in him? Every part of me wants to say no, that last season was an outlier, just based on how the previous 12 seasons of DeMar DeRozan's career had gone up until that point. Not to say he was a bad player previously to that. He was obviously a very good very good player, all-star level player. But what he did last year was like top 10, top 15 level type player stuff, something he had never really approached before. So like that felt very outlier-ish, if that's even a word. But you know, that was my expectation coming into the season. But then watching him in preseason, the way he was just grifting his way into the easiest of 20 points in like 20 to 25 minutes a game, I started to question that, well, well, maybe this is just new DeMar. Like maybe for whatever reason, he's just, he's not beating father time in a, in a way like that he maybe tried to express during, you know, the off season, during the um, media day and all that sort of stuff. But maybe he can do or replicate what he did last season again. And and if he can, then I'm, I'm, I feel a lot better about the Bulls chances because I was, I was, you know, I was factoring in a slight regression, maybe like, maybe 90 to 95% of what he was he replicated or did last season. If he could replicate that this season, I would have been very happy with that, given how good last season was. But if he can 
if he can do basically the same thing as last season, I'm not expecting the same level of clutch scoring. I'm not expecting the same level of um, you know game winners or back-to-back game winners as we saw over the new year. But like, if he could just be that guy who can give you 26, 27 every night, five rebounds, five assists, and hopefully be average on defense whilst being you know one of the better isolation scorers, like I don't think we can ask too much too much more than that. And having said that, like I, I didn't even expect that, but based on what I've seen in preseason, it seems like he's just continuing on. So I, I think he can now. I'm starting to talk myself into it. Maybe I'll regret that, but I'm kind of at that point now. So my opinion on DeMar and the season that I think he's going to have is more actually influenced by how I think the team is going to play than it is my opinion of DeMar, the player himself. I think DeMar, the player, can be relatively the same player that he was last year, um, just in terms of like skill level and talent. I actually really believe in his clutch play. Uh, It's something that he's always really excelled at last year. I agree with you, though, on the the points about the back-to-back game winners. Like, we probably don't see that at any point this year just because nobody's ever seen that before. But I think he can be really, really good in terms of scoring the ball, creating efficient offense, and especially, like, late clock scenarios. But the Bulls are going to try to create easier offense around DeMar as much as they can, whether it's with, you know, these all-bench lineups where DeMar doesn't have to, like, just do every single thing by himself. Um, where, you know, they're moving guys around and trying to get easier looks, even in that starting group with, you know, Vooch playing on the outsides and doing some more stuff and getting more paint touches and things like that. So I I think DeMar's, like, scoring average may go down a little bit just as a result of the changed offense. But I think the quality and caliber of player he is is not going to be all that different from last year. So I guess kind of a cop-out, but... To answer the, the I think, larger question of does he need to be that same player, I think the answer to that is no because the Bulls are trying to budget for him to basically not have to do that. And I think that's a really smart way to do it. We'll see if that if they can actually get away with it, if it, if it succeeds. But to, to not need to rely on him but have the ability to, to bail out, uh, you know, uh, an offensive possession that doesn't, turn out to be a transition fast break or, you know, an easy back cut layup or whatever it may be to have him to bail you out with eight seconds left on the shot clock and just get to his spot at the elbow, I think is a really great way to use DeMar, even if it ends up with him, you know, averaging 23 or 24 instead of 27, 28. I I don't disagree with the premise, but I do disagree that that's what we'll see. Um, So look, I would be concerned if the Bulls are relying on DeMar or running such a DeMar-centric offense. But that doesn't mean... Even if the offense changes its scope some and, and there's more random randomization to it, different looks, different feels, those sorts of things, I don't I don't think this usage percentages are going to change too drastically. Like, DeMar was at 32% last season. Uh, Zach was at 29 and Vooch was at 24-25. Like, I don't think that's going to sway too much. So... And, and I don't think it can, really, because beyond those guys, you... you you have, I guess, low, typically low usage players. Like someone will have to step up to take that usage away from those guys. So I don't necessarily see that for, or happening too much. To your point around like, do they need to be, or do they need DeMar to be at the level that he was last season? Maybe not necessarily in the regular season if they can get other guys by committee sort of chipping in here and there. But I guess depending on the context, like I think when we get to the playoffs, they, they most definitely need, someone whether it's Demar or Levine or well I'm assuming it's only going to be one of those two not necessarily anyone else but I think they need someone to be playing at a like top 10 top 15 level if the Bulls are going to meet their expectations and per AK like the expectations this season is to do better than last to maybe advance in the playoffs get past the the first round so if that's going to happen like I don't think the Bulls can just do so by relying on they're 10 guys, like we're running a 10-man rotation and hoping that sort of overcomes whoever it is they play in the first round. So in that sense, they do need someone to be at that level when it matters, but maybe less so in the regular season. So I think depending on the context, you could you could argue both really. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. Um, certainly when you get to the playoffs, things bog down a little bit. But you also saw what happened in the playoffs when you know that happened. We had a game where DeMar literally went at Giannis and just scored like 10 straight buckets in his face uh, in Milwaukee in game two. But then you also saw possessions where Wesley Matthews, Andrew Holiday, and Javon Carter 
and you know Giannis and Brook Lopez were all just collapsed on him at the elbow and he couldn't do anything and so he was spraying it out to shooters who were like four of 206 from the arc in the series so I agree with you um in the sense that like they need DeMar to be that good in the moments where they need him to be that good which sounds kind of silly and um obvious but like I think ideally, and maybe again, this isn't necessarily what's going to happen, but in an ideal world, they won't need to rely on that possession to possession quite as much. I do, uh, I do think the playoffs are a different story, though. But let's uh, let's talk about Zach here as well because he's obviously the second of a two-headed snake and a player that is really good. He's coming into the season on a max deal, and you know, dealt with some injuries last year, dealt with. Um, you know, the surgery over the off season. Do you think he has another gear? And like, what do you think that sort of potential gear that he could get to means for the bulls? Well, I'd like to think he does, but I don't think he does. If that makes sense. I'm, I'm hopeful that he does, but I don't think he necessarily does. Like I don't, I don't see Zach maxing out as a top, you know, anything more than a top 20, top 25 guy. And maybe, maybe I'll be proven wrong because seemingly every position or every, you know, Wherever he finds himself uh, placed within the league in terms of status or rank or whatever you whatever you want to sort of categorize it as, he seemingly always eclipses that. So in that sense, maybe there is something more in there. But I, I kind of feel like we are getting to the point where Zach has reached a level where maybe he can refine that level and get better within those you know the skill set that he currently has. But I don't, I don't think he's necessarily going to add something major to his game and, and make like a Demar like leap later in his career like what Damar is doing is very uncommon so I'm not predicting that Zach would do something similar and just all of a sudden become a really good playmaker or, you know really shore up his defense even more than he has or you know just become a different level of player I think he could become an, a more uber efficient scorer than what maybe what we've seen in the past particularly if he starts shooting more threes than what he has in the past or maybe, and maybe getting to the line you know a, a fraction more but I want to believe that there's another level to Zach's game that maybe, like I spoke about, that he could be the one that could approach top 10, top 15 level player where, when it matters. But I don't necessarily think that's in his game. I don't think he's at that level. You know, for me, at least, like I've always kind of viewed him in a similar tier of play, like with Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving. Uh, I would have put Devin Booker in there previously, but he, he kind of feels like he has made that step forward, which I would hope Levine could. And, and maybe if, if Booker can, then maybe Levine can. But personally, I, I don't necessarily see it happening, So, which is why I think DeMar needs to be that lead guy. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that Zach can do it and take that next step. And, you know, irrespective of his contract situation. And I think people, this is going to be a narrative that, um, that that's going to be spoken about this season, that Zach's earned this, or he's got this max deal now, but he has to be a max level player, which is kind of nonsense because he already is. But I think there's going to be a narrative now whereby people are going to have an even shorter leash, so to speak, when when analyzing Zach Levine. Like it was all well and good to to have him be a 26, 27, 28 point per game scorer, you know, with with his certain flaws when he was earning, earning 19 to 20 million. And I'm not saying I agree with these takes, but now that he's he's you know commanding somewhere close to 40 million dollars, that those takes are just going to be amplified now. So I think a lot of people are going to be expecting for Zach to take that leap. I don't think that's right, but Nonetheless, I think they will be, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think there are a couple of areas where it's useful to sort of think about how Zach can improve. Um, first would be just like, can he improve his scoring? Can he get to another level there in terms of both volume and efficiency? I think that's going to be pretty difficult if you if you factor in sort of the usage breakdown with him and Damar, as you talked about. I mean, he's not going to be the one that is getting the majority of the shots on this team. He had a huge jump in free throw rate last year, which I thought was great. Um, his numbers didn't even really drop off that much after his thumb and knee injuries, but I think just being healthy, like he'll he'll bounce back up a little bit. I mean, we're talking about a 25 point per game guy, five and five on like 47, 40 and 85. Like that's a really, really good offensive weapon. I think there can be some refinement there, but I'm not expecting him to jump up to like, 30 points per game. Um, the other areas where I could see some potential growth are just like playmaking and decision-making. I think as teams loaded up on DeMar last year, he had an opportunity to really step up and sort of attack those gaps. And I think in large part due to the injuries, he wasn't really able to do that. I think also just 
in terms of the player that he is, like wasn't necessarily ready to do that or capable of it. So I could see some growth there, just having, um, having seen those defenses now for a full season, uh, understanding what it's like to play alongside somebody who's actually going to be attracting more attention than him. Like he's never really had to do that. And so last year was the first time I think he could, um, I think there's some scope for growth there. I'm not sure how much we see Um, the area. I think that there is a little bit more potential for growth would be on the defensive end. He really needs to level up defensively for the bulls to be good. We're talking about a team that finished like low twenties in defensive efficiency last year. Uh, a team that is obviously missing one of their top two defenders for an indefinite period of time and a lineup where, you know, you're not going to be starting Caruso. Javante Green and Io DeSumo are really, really the only like defensive players in the starting lineup. And I wouldn't call either of those guys like lockdown. If Zach can really become a two way player, and I think he has taken strides, um, some of the rotations that I saw him making in some in uh, preseason. Some of the just, you know, on-ball pressure that he was able to provide uh, in the first part of of last season before he got hurt. I think there is some potential for him to take a step forward. And if he's not going to be the one that's shouldering a 35-40% usage rate, I think there's really no excuses to not improve on that level in both effort and um, just understanding the game and and basketball IQ from that side. And then I think in the playoffs, uh, that's the other area where, to me, there has to be growth, and I think there's probably the most room for growth. He did not play super well in the playoffs. I know he was hurt. I know he had COVID. Um, it was his first time. Like I wasn't even necessarily expecting him to have this sort of transcendent postseason against a, a much better team that was really well-equipped to stop both him and DeMar. But I think he needs to have take that experience and use it to understand his game better and how he can improve because – I mean, I'm not expecting the Bulls to win this cha- and the, win the championship this year, but I do hope that they're more competitive in a playoff series. And I think if you just go back and rewatch a lot of the film on this last one, it was DeMar against the world, and Zach is supposed to be the guy that takes pressure off of him. So that's, I think, probably the biggest area for me where he can level up. And if he does that, then, like, I don't care if he's the 30th or 25th ranked player in the regular season. Um, you know, if he can be a real dominant offensive player in the playoffs like that would that would be fantastic yeah but I think that goes hand in hand like if he can be a dominant offensive player in the playoffs then I think that ultimately boosts you know his status within the league so I I guess we're sort of agreeing in in, in some respects but maybe coming at it at a different different angle because I I am just a firm believer that you need typically speaking more generally it's not always something you need but I think most championship level teams or teams that are real contenders, at least, at least maybe those that don't even have um, or don't end up winning championships. Like you need one of those guys, a, uh, a Jimmy Butler type, shall we say, Matthew Peck and Dave, if you are, listen, are listening. Uh, I think that's the kind of player the Bulls would need. But um, nonetheless, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, DeMar was close to replicating Jimmy-like stuff last season. Maybe Zach can get there as well. But um I, I do think that is kind of important, but nonetheless, let's move on. You did make an appreciation. We're previewing in this section, William, but I did hear you say a prediction that you didn't think the Bulls were going to be uh, going to win the championship. Are you just sort of jumping ahead there? Like I, I did have a rundown sheet, but you're already jumping to the predictions. Yeah, I wanted to tease the the audience a little bit so they have to stick around for the full hour. Um, Lonzo Ball is somebody that we've obviously talked a lot about. That you know, Who? we're Lonzo. we're waiting here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, haven't seen him since January 14th. It's October 17th when you guys are hearing this. Uh, you know, he's obviously a, a really great player and an important piece of this team. We've had many a uh, conversation about him just going into the season and having seen what the Bulls are like in preseason and understanding, you know, what Lonzo brought to this team in terms of defense transition shooting. How much do you have like a a revised opinion about how much he means to this group and how much they're going to miss him um, and potentially like, you know, how much he changes sort of the the upside of this team? Well, I think my 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 take was all offseason that they weren't actually going to miss him that much. Um, And 
I don't want to use a sample size of four games within preseason to, to really toot my own horn here, so to speak. But um, I liked what I saw from the Bulls to the point where I think they can overcome the absence of Lonzo. Like, would I rather have Lonzo with Caruso and Ayo? Obviously, I'm not a douchebag. But uh, would I? am I confident that Ayo and Caruso and even Dale and Terry potentially, Goran Dragic, even Kobe had a strong preseason or a decent preseason, maybe maybe strong's too harsh, uh, too strong a word, brother. But uh, I'm confident that the Bulls guard guard group can sort of help overcome Lonzo, and I think that's that's possible. And I feel pretty strong about it before. And I think after after what we've seen in preseason, we should be feeling confident that 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 will be the case going forward. So uh, I feel good about it, William. I feel good about it. I'm a little more skeptical than you. Um, I know, I know. I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to be either. Like Lonzo is basically the best version of what the Bulls, he's the best package of all the things that the Bulls want to do well, whether it's, like I said, transition play, which obviously they've emphasized here in the preseason shooting, which they continue to not do um, much to my chagrin and defense, which uh, I mean, just they're going to need to be a good defense. Like you cannot be a good team without being a good defense. It's just, that's facts. Yeah. Um, so I, feel like I, I do think he's really. I, I, I feel like you're going to get two of those three, though. I, I feel confident in that. I don't think you're going to get the three-point volume out of a single player, but I think you can, you can get the transition and defense from point guard. Um, will it be exactly in the same way? No, but I think I think it can be replicated, and, and I'm, I feel confident about it. So. Uh, and, and to your point, like, okay, you lose Lonzo's three-point volume, but, I mean, they were 29th when Lonzo was playing anyway when in, in three-point three point attempt rate, they were 30th without him. So it's not like we're jump, falling down from top 10 to, to bottom five or something. So I just feel like yeah, it's been overstated not, by, by nerds like you. That's all. The haters and losers. I'm not saying, like, <laughs> the Bulls don't need to also improve on stuff the way, like, even if they were playing the way that they did in the first half of last year. They still needed to shoot more. Um, I think they still depended too heavily on DeMar at times to create something out of nothing. But when you have somebody who I think in in the half court especially is that good of a passer and a ball mover, it just makes life so much easier. And it answers so many of the questions that I still feel like I have about this Bulls offense that are of, you know, in the half court that are not necessarily related to transition. Um, I don't think that they've necessarily, or at least I haven't seen enough to know whether they've answered those questions. And I think Lonzo, even if there are like changes or tweaks that they would need to do uh, to implement with Lonzo playing, like shooting more, like getting out more. I mean, they, they weren't even a very high volume transition team with Lonzo. Um, but I just think he's capable of moving the needle so much more in any of those fields. And those are areas I think of the biggest weakness uh, of this team right now. So I do think it's a big deal. I think if they get him back, he fits in perfectly to the, additions that they're trying to you know make and uh, I think that amplifies his impact even more so to me I do think they they take maybe not like a big step back with Lonzo in the way that they did last year because as you've noted a million times it wasn't just Lonzo it was Lonzo and Caruso and Javante and Derek Jones and all these guys going out at the same time and then the Bulls just like not having answers uh, and just devolving because and to their you know in their defense, like, what do you do when you've just got nobody out there? You give it to DeMar and you say, yeah, go create exactly. some offense for us. So I don't mm-hmm. even, like, blame them for that. But I do – I'm glad that they're wary of it and trying to to sort of um, find workarounds. But I think having Lonzo makes all those things much easier. It I think it, it lends uh, more credibility to the transition game, which I'm not sure I fully buy. Uh, I think it helps more in the half court. Obviously, the shooting would need to go up. But – I do think, I mean, he's a he's a very significant value add to this team, and I and I certainly think they're going to miss him, regardless of whether their it reflects in their record or their transition numbers or anything like that, just because of how much he would add if he was there. Um, but in terms of the transition and defense, uh, I want to switch gears here to the power forward discussion, which has sort of taken over the point guard situation, which is what we thought might be the most interesting heading into the preseason. Uh, Billy went with Patrick in game one. He went with Javante in game two. Derek Jones in game three at the power forward spot. Obviously, in their fourth preseason game against the Bucks, everybody sat, so that, that game is kind of a wash. But 
what's just been your take on the Bulls power forward, starting power forward situation, narrative? Could you, I want you to predict what you think my take is. One, because I we've already sort of t- touched on it before, so I assume you know what my take is, but I want you to say it rather than me repeating it. What, what do you think it is? I think if it were up to you, Patrick wouldn't even be on the bench. He would be <laughs> the 13th man. They'd be He'd be playing in the G League every night. Is that uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, I think that's your take. I think so, certain people may ex- expect that to be my take, which I, I don't understand why, but... Uh, no, you're incorrect, obviously. Uh, I know you're being... Imagine, imagine wanting the Bulls' fourth overall pick to not be good. I cannot imagine that. I know. I'm like, why would I want my team to be actively worse? Like, why would that be in my best of interest? But I've, I've, I've had people tell me that. But um, nonetheless, like, I this is a take that I'm work, working on. I don't know if you agree with this, and, and maybe it's incorrect because there are far more important players on this team, irrespective of where Patrick is at, whether he makes a leap or not. Like, ultimately, guys like Damone and and Levine, their, their status within the league is a lot higher than Patrick Williams. But I'm kind of brewing up a take, William. Maybe you disagree that um, Patrick Williams, beyond any other player in, on this team, has the most pressure on his shoulders, which is maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe you could argue otherwise. But I, I, I do, as, as much as the team is trying to I guess dumbed down the fact that he was a former number four pick. How it's not, it, it, how that status doesn't matter anymore. How that won't influence rotations, and I'm not suggesting it should influence rotations or anything like that. Like I'm, I've always held the view that Patrick shouldn't be gifted anything, um, even whether that means him coming off the bench or starting, whatever the situation may be, or field goal attempts, whatever. I don't, I don't believe in that sort of entitlement stuff. Like you got to earn it, and and I'm glad Billy has taken that. That perspective, but at the same time, like we 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 just can't scoot around the fact that the, the franchise has invested so much in this dude, uh, in this dude, if nothing more than just expectations and the way they've structured this roster. Like we talk about the point guard position before, like I would feel very differently about lo- losing Lonzo Ball and Lonzo being out for maybe half a season, let's say, if we didn't have Io and Caruso. I would I would most definitely be joining you in saying that the, the absence of Lonzo Ball is hugely pro- problematic. Whereas like power forward, the way the roster has been shaped is this is your position, Pat. Like there's not really other capable guys, or at least we didn't assume there to be other capable guys who should be challenging you to take that spot off you. But seemingly that's going to be the case. And, and credit to Javante because he's, he's made it a worthy conversation. Like I'm not suggesting that Javante is just some random scrub who's, uh, inserted himself into the starting line of conversations just because Pat has been so bad. Like, that's not the case. Like, Pat has, hasn't been good, but at the same time, Javante has been great, which is why it is a conversation. But, yeah, I, I, I just do think there's no getting around the fact that this team has invested a lot in Pat. They were expecting a lot of Pat this season. And, and this is the whole thing where everyone's been talking about. Like, he would be the bridging type player, whether it was the bridging aspect into the next generation of Bulls teams, but also sort of getting this team up in terms of scope, in terms of what AK was kind of hopeful of this team, in terms of getting to that next level in the playoffs. Yes, you need to rely on DeMar, Levine, Vooch and those guys, but ultimately you need your other players around you to to grow. And given that the roster remains unchanged, that internal development is huge. And I mean, that was going to come from Io, but the, the guy that we expected it to come from most was the guy he picked up before. So... Pat has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Um, I don't feel like I'm putting extra pressure on his shoulders, despite maybe other people suggesting that I am. But I'm just reading this as per what the franchise is doing and what they're expecting of him. And I think the fact that the, the way they've engineered the roster and the fact that he is a former number four pick, like that shit matters, irrespective of what Billy or anyone else says. So, uh, yeah, I, I I feel problematic about entering this Pat entering this. Uh, regular season and he's my biggest concern i think he's got the biggest pressure on his shoulder but maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm just a hater who thinks he should be in the g league and not even on the roster well i mean if you think about who who's the one saying that like the fact that he's the number fourth overall pick doesn't matter it's the coach the coach doesn't have that kind of investment in picking a player at that spot so yeah i'm sure for billy it isn't that big of a deal but for ak and for eversley and for like the organization as a whole and for the fan base yeah, that really matters. And so to me, I I am very concerned about Patrick um, spending like, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, 
pretentious or hanging like hanging around with Patrick all the time, but like just having been around him and like watching him at games and like talking to him at practice and stuff, like I do believe in him as a person and as somebody who's going to like work hard to develop. I think the things that he struggles with are hopefully fixable. Um, but I do think that it's going to be hard for him to become the player that like that they want him to be, that we want him to be in this situation. I think this situation is difficult for him. And so maybe this is my hot take, but I'm very happy with him moving to the second unit. I think he is really going to benefit from that style of play. Um, I I think the way that he overthinks things, he's not going to have the chance to do that if they're just running up and down and passing. Like he's talked about how, playing next to DeMar and Zach is to get those guys in a groove. It's not to find your own offense. It's not to be a part of the game. When on the right side of the floor, you come down and they're running a pick and roll and Pat's just in the left corner. And the first time he touches the ball is with like eight seconds left on the shot clock. And he's not a confident shooter and he's got to throw up a three. And like, he knows that's the thing he's going to have to do next time. I just think that's a really tough position for him to be in. I'm not saying the bulls need to give him, opportunities to run pick and rolls as I you know thought a couple months ago I'm not saying that I expect them to do that or that they should or that they will but uh, I just think that the opportunity he'll have in that second unit playing alongside uh, a faster paced group with I think a point guard who can actually like teach him how to play basketball is going to go a long way for him and a style of play that isn't going to just pigeonhole him into the corner so Maybe that's my hot take of just, I think this is going to be really good for Patrick. And I think it's going to be good for the Bulls too. They're going to get a better fit at power forward in the starting group. They're going to be able to develop Patrick um, a little bit more slowly, but a little bit like lower leverage too, where he doesn't have to like be that guy as the third or fourth option in the starting group. I'm actually pretty excited for him and I'm excited uh, that hopefully this pressure is going to be alleviated. So I don't know if I'm crazy or if I'm just, uh, you know, blind with optimism on him, but, and I'm not even saying, I think he's going to like turn into a great player as a result, but I do think this could be good for him. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, again, I don't fundamentally disagree. Like if Pat's more effective in the second unit, then, okay, cool. That's, that's very good for the short term. But if we're at the point of the season, and maybe this is my hottest take, I thought my Lonzo takes were my hottest takes, but maybe my hottest take is actually the fact that if Patrick Bill Williams Simmons out is, here, if if Patrick Williams is better served, that's an insult. Actually, never say that again to me. But if Patrick Williams <laughs> is better served as a bench guy in the second unit, and if Patrick Williams, for whatever reason, isn't in the frame to close games towards the end of the season. Like I'm not going to get too carried away with it now because we've we've literally haven't, the season hasn't started yet. There's plenty of time for Pat to make this right. But if by the end of the season, Pat isn't in closing lineups, if he hasn't felt comfortable enough to be in those lineups or effective enough to be in those lineups and Billy is more frequently going to Io, Caruso, uh, Javante, like two of those three guys to support Vooch, DeMar and, and Levine, and Pat doesn't necessarily enter that conversation. To me, that's an unmitigated disaster. So that's my hottest take. If, if we're into entering the playoffs, assuming the Bulls are making the playoffs, and we'll come to the prediction soon, but if, 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 if Pat isn't even in the frame for closing lineups, then uh, I'm sorry. Despite your, uh, your best, your best uh, way to frame this as a positive, I, I think that would be an absolute, absolute disaster, William. My final uh, comment on this is... I think it would be a great thing if he just developed into being good at something. Cause I don't think he's really there yet at anything. And so if he's good on the second unit, I think that's a, that's a step forward. I mean, sure. But like if, if you're, if Patrick Williams is like the, the seventh or eighth best player on the bulls, that isn't good to me. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's problematic. But um, I mean, we, we should probably pay some bills. Will. I mean, we've gone on half an hour talking about, Talking about previews and predictions, and the, well, we haven't got to predictions yet, but should we pay the bills first? Because, like I Let's said, pay the bills. Like I, the Mark, I could bang on about Patrick Williams for a long time. Yeah, well, maybe we just have to do, maybe we have to do a full hour on it. But in the meantime, you are absolutely right. We've gone on long enough. Mark, tell the people about our friends at Green Ridge. Yes, Green Ridge Farm, William, is a Chicago local meat and cheese company offering you better all natural options. They are the maker of all natural deli meats, sausages, and of course, their famous meat sticks. 
of which they're perfect for tailgating, happy hours, school lunches. If you're a beat writer and you're taking it, you need, you need to take a snack to Gaines or to the uh, CHGO office, get yourself a meat stick and jam that down your hole. But all of these natural meat sticks are hardwood smoked for eight hours at a time with 16 grams of protein per stick, making them the perfect post-workout snack. So all of these meat sticks, William, they come in chicken, black forest beef, and flavors like even jalapeno and cheddar, a spicy chili, and a whole bunch more. So uh, get yourself some of these Green Ridge Farms meat sticks. If you haven't tried them yet, don't know what you're missing. Right now, when you order any three meat products at greenridgefarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks will be free simply by using promo code CHGO at checkout. What an offer, William. It's a great offer, but before you jam your face full of meat... Every day, you should start off with Athletic Greens, my favorite product that sponsors us here at CHGO. I started taking AG1 uh, about six or seven months ago when we first started, and I got my first free sample, and I have not gone back. It is a super easy way to improve my gut health, my energy, my immune system, and it's all in one packet. You don't have to get a million pills and supplements and powders and all that stuff. Um it's it's just a great way to start the day. There are no nasty chemicals or sugar or artificial anything. And it's just, it's been a really uh, game-changing thing for me. It's got its 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and our favorite, the adaptogens. So all you do is dump a scoop of that in your water, shake it up every day, and drink it down to improve all those things that I mentioned before. So right now it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. As I said, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you need to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash chgobulls. That's athleticgreens.com slash chgobulls to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, the Bulls need some nutritional insurance, I think, because the East is tough, man. The Central Division is hard. And I wanted to make some predictions with you because uh, I think last year when we did this at HQ, we were pretty spot on. Um, and it's just fun to go back and, and think about how we uh, how we will do. So, Mark, what is your uh, what are your season predictions in terms of where the Bulls line up in? Let's start with the Central Division. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember what we predicted last year, but I, I like the fact that you just said, yeah, we were spot on. So I, I'm, I'm going to take well, I was right spot on. on. I guessed I think I guessed 45 or 46 wins and a six seed. So I'll take uh, I'll take a win. I, on that. I can't remember what I said, but I'm going to pretend that I was spot on too. So um, I'm going to uh, assume as well. You were this, probably this... not, but okay. <laughs> well, maybe this year I will be. But in terms of ter- the the central division, like we can all assume the Bucks are the number one team in the uh, in the central. So it really comes down to like the Cavs or the Bulls. Who's number two here? Uh, we we assume the Pacers are going to be fifth. No love for the Pacers and Pistons. No, no love for those uh, lesser teams. Uh, the Pistons will be fun to watch, but they shouldn't be entering this conversation. And if they are, that's certainly a problem. But uh, I go back and forth as to whether I think the Bulls or Cavs are better. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. And, and maybe it doesn't really matter because they're very similarly tiered. And maybe it'll ultimately be defined by who is the healthiest and who has the, the better chemistry and these sorts of things. But uh, I kind of lean to the Cavs being better than the Bulls just slightly. Uh, maybe like a 48-win team. Maybe I, is kind of where I see the Cavs being, a 47, 48-win team. I, I, uh, the, the Cavs aren't going into their uh, regular season questioning whether they have an issue at power forward or anything like that. I can I can assure you of that. Evan Mobley is the truth. Um, I'm very jealous of that. And the fact that they've got Garland and Mobley in their backcourt makes me very jealous as well. So I actually think the Bulls are the, the, the third best team in the Central. I don't think it ultimately matters too much because... Like I said, I think the, the Cavs and the Bulls are, are pretty similarly tiered, but um, I don't know if you disagree. Do you, do you have the Cavs or, or Bulls as, as the second team? Or maybe maybe you've got them above the Bucks. I mean, they were pretty close to the Bucks last year. It came down to like the last couple of weeks. And uh, the Bucks, yeah, I mean, what, the Bucks are better. We're, we're, we're very close in the playoffs. 
No, but that's a, I mean, that's a different thing, right? Like a, a better team and a better record are very different, yeah, okay. but Fair enough. Uh, I guess I might, I might go back on this eventually when we talk about like the standings in general, because I think, I guess like what I'll say is that I have a tier of teams the uh, in the East, the Raptors, Hawks, Cavs, and Bulls that are all kind of in the same spot. And I think the general consensus is that like the Bulls are worse. So the Bulls are going to end up at the back of that tier, which is like the ninth seed. And so I'm kind of working around the, the actual question here and just saying that I think one of those four teams, the, Ra- the Raptors, Cavs, or Hawks will be worse than the Bulls. I just think we're all, everybody in like the national media, everybody in just like Twitter and NBA fans, like everybody's assuming that all those teams on paper that are like on paper better than the Bulls are going to finish ahead of the Bulls. I don't think it's going to work out that way. I would say one or two of them are worse than the Bulls. I'm not sure if it's going to be the Cavs and that's why I'm not really necessarily willing to put the Bulls third in the division, but gun to my head, I guess I'll say Bulls third in in the division. There you go. There you go. Um, Do you think, so let's, I mean, let's take that to the, to the Eastern conference standings then. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of like alluded to mine, but what what is your top, we'll call it top 10 in the East since that will include the play-in teams? Well, yeah, the Bulls are definitely in that. Uh, top 10, uh, you, well, I mean... You think? I mean, 538 had the Hornets ahead of them. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm tipping that that's not the case. I, I'm tipping that the Bulls will be top 10. I think Terry Rozier, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. But um, no, uh, I, I think no the 10th team in the East... That. I think the 10th team in the East will be the Knicks. Um, I think the Bulls will be in that plane bracket. I have them sort of seventh at the moment, just at this stage. Maybe that's wrong. I don't think they're uh, a guarantee to be top six in, in the playoffs in the same way they were last season. I think that's, I mean, it could happen. It's it's, it's possible, but I'm not betting on it at this stage. Not that I bet, but uh, I'm, I'm expecting the Bulls to be in that playing frame somewhere within the, the seven or eight seed. I don't think they're going to fall anywhere close to, you know, 10 or below, but uh, the East is good. The East is good. And if you have just one bad month, one, one bad few weeks, that could, that could really hurt you in the standing. So I think the Bulls are probably closer to, to seven and eight than they are five or six, but that's where I kind of see them situating in the East. Um, I think they can make the playoffs, but I don't think they're necessarily going to start in the playoff position when the playing sort of starts. Yeah, I would say I think they finish eighth. I think there clearly is a top nine in the East, as I mentioned, uh, sort of that Bulls tier, but I would go Bucks, Celtics, and 76ers in that top tier. Mm-hmm. I would put the Nets and the Heat together in a tier yeah. um, mm-hmm. in the 4-5, just because I think both of them are kind of wild cards in terms of like the Nets have all the talent in the world, but all yeah. of the um, chaos in the world as well. The Heat yeah. are like kind of the opposite where they've lost mm-hmm. some talent, but they are just like the model organization of success in the NBA over, you know, as long as Spolster has been there and, and even beyond that. So I think those two are the four or five in some order. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, I have Raptors, Hawks, Cavs, and Bulls. I think they're in a tier. And like I said, I mean, I just, I think everybody's assuming, oh, the Bulls sucked in their last 20 games of the season. They're going to be the worst of those teams. They didn't do anything. And like, I don't disagree with that. They were really bad at the end of last year. But I also think you can't just necessarily assume like all these other teams are going to hit, whether it's injuries, whether it's like, you know, weird drama that could come up from who knows where uh, depth issues. Like, I don't think the Hawks are all that deep. They're relying on a bunch of young players. The Cavs are relying on uh, on health and young players to take a step forward and Donovan Mitchell to just come in and be like the perfect complement to Darius Garland or vice versa. Um, the Raptors, I think, I mean, look, it's just, it's hard for me to pick the Raptors to be like the, a a top three seed, the way I think a lot of people are starting to think about them. If they can't beat the bulls, like they did not beat the bulls last year. Uh, they, the bulls kind of beat them in the three quarters that they played in preseason. Like, I think they're just a flawed team. That's going to have trouble. Their, their defense is going to be amazing. Uh, they're like just super long and just hell to play, but like they have weaknesses. They cannot defend against some of the bigger bigs in the league and I think they have trouble scoring in the half court so I think they're a little bit more flawed than some people 
And I just think between the the Raptors, Hawks, and Cavs, like one of those teams is going to hit, the injuries are going to hit or something is going to go wrong. So I would put the Bulls as the eighth seed. Um, not necessarily sure which one of those teams might end up lower, but uh, yeah, I think it's just like, a little bit too convenient for the bulls to just be like the bottom of that group, the way that everybody seems to think they are now, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I mean, certainly during the preseason and the things that they've been preaching in terms of generating easier offense. Um, like the other, the other thing with that is like the bulls, uh, the the criticism of the bulls is like, Oh, they were so good in the clutch last year. They're not going to be that good. Yeah. Maybe they drop a game or two based on DeMar hitting buzzer beaters, but like DeMar's really good in the clutch. He has been his entire career. I don't think that's just going to like go away. I think they're going to continue to be a really good clutch team. And that's part of the reason why they had a winning record despite having a negative point differential. So I think that counts for something. I think it's a little bit overlooked. And I think the Bulls end up uh, as a top eight seed. I think that's that's a play-in area for sure, but um, certainly a safer place to be than nine and 10. Well, look, I, I think for two reasons. I, I think the East is going to be very similar to the West in years past. Like didn't the Suns, I can't remember what year it was, when, when Dragic was there uh, with Bledsoe in the backcourt. Didn't they win like 48 games and miss the postseason? So I, I think there's a chance that the top eight or nine teams in the East all have, you know, 44, 45 wins, something like that. Maybe some are, you know, maybe the Raptors aren't as competitive against the Bulls, but then maybe the Raptors are better at, or you know, uh, have a more favorable matchup against someone like the Hawks or whatever the situation may be, because ultimately it will, it will come down to matchups. But there's so many good teams in the East, but there's also going to be a lot of teams maybe competing for that tank race for um for Wembenyama and Scoot. So maybe a lot of these teams will sort of start beating up on the on the solid dwellers in in the Eastern Conference, whereby like teams like the like the Hornets will enter into that tank race. So I, I think it's probably likely that uh, there's going to be you know eight nine teams that have forty something wins, and ultimately it's just going to come down to like where you're sitting in the play and like. There's going to be three or four really good teams in the play-in play situation in the East, and you can make a case that any of those teams in the play-in could end up seventh or eighth. Like that's the the appeal of the play-in. So the Bulls may be, you know, seventh when we end the season, but maybe their season ends with them being ninth or tenth, just because it literally comes down to one game. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you could talk me into a whole bunch of variables, but the, the point is they they're in that bracket. They're in that I guess that sphere of teams where they're sitting somewhere between sort of five and five and ten, hopefully on the, the top side of that, but it, it could go either way. Yeah, I think the the difference for me there is I think they probably max out at six, like as the top of this group. I don't really see them like elevating out of this group. Um no. I think I think even getting to six is like pretty unlikely. So I, I do think they're a play in team. I'm not trying to like say that they're much better than that, but like when you're talking about these teams, you know, winning 44, 45 games and missing the playoffs last year, it was Brooklyn was the seventh seed with 44 wins, Atlanta, eight seed, 43, Cleveland, ninth seed with 44 and Hornets, 10th seed with 43. Like the East is just really hmm. strong one through 10. And I don't necessarily think we're going to have any 60 or 58 win teams. No. Um, and I think you're right about like the teams tanking. I think, I think that race is going to start pretty early. And so whether it's, you know, teams in the West that are doing that or teams in the East, I think there will be winnable games, especially down the stretch. And the Bulls are not going to be in that group. They're not going to be the ones that are tanking for the bottom because they don't have their pick uh, unless it falls in the top four, which I think we can all agree is incredibly unlikely. So, yeah, I I feel actually pretty good about that. Do you want to put a uh, a win-loss record on it? I'm going to say 48 and – oh, sorry, 44 and 38. Is that, is that oh, a two eighty two? Forty eight wins. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming forty four plus thirty eight equals eighty two. My maths isn't great, but if that equals eighty two, then that's what I'm going with. Forty four wins. My, my 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 range of outcomes is basically forty two to forty six wins. So I'm I'm just splitting the difference. Forty four wins essentially. Hmm. Yeah, I had forty two written here, but I think for if I'm calling them an eighth seed, I think that might not work out. So I'm going to bump them up to forty three. Uh, as the eighth seed, I don't. I, I just can't that see one them game getting... difference makes makes a. Yeah, I think. Difference. Well, I mean, you look at the the play in from last year. I mean, it's like forty three or forty four wins. So I don't think a forty two team, forty two win team, necessarily gets into the play in. Maybe they do, just based on how everything shakes out. But I think forty three and forty one 
I'll call it the eighth seed. And um, that would be a chance to a win and you're in for the playoffs. And then if they lost, well, I'll they just would say that I was bad at math, but I, 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 and I, I, I am not great at math, but I definitely know 43 and 41 doesn't equal 80. Is that what I said? <laughs> 43 <laughs> and 39. <laughs> 43 yeah. and 39. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes more sense. I can't add a win and a loss and come up with 82 games. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No. Um, I don't feel great about it, to be quite honest with you. But I'll <laughs> I'll I'll put it there and just call it a day. Fair enough. Um, before we move on here, because we've been rambling, I think we're on about 50 minutes here. I want to uh, stop and tell the people about our friends at Pins and Aces. Pins and Aces is the official golf partner for CHGO. We love Pins and Aces and their gear and get tons of compliments every time we are on the course. They are a family-owned golf and apparel business that makes amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and the greatest of all time invention, the beer sleeve. You can put seven beers inside a sleeve that fits into your golf bag. It is magnificent, and it is the one way that I'll get Matt Pack to join me on the golf course. So check out pinsandaces.com and use promo code CHGO. To receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com and you know it, promo code CHGO. Um, Mark, there are a couple of sort of housekeeping notes that I think apply to the Bulls as we get into the season here. Um, and it's really all in the name of extensions. Um, Vooch is eligible for an extension. I believe that the date for that is July 30th or is it maybe June, June 30th 30, for yeah. June 30th of, of mm-hmm. 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, Kobe white is up for an extension that I believe uh, the deadline is tomorrow at 6 PM central time or Eastern time. Uh, so we might, you may have an answer to that one uh, by the time you're listening to this, but um, the bulls also have uh Ayo DeSumo, who's going to be a restricted free agent. They have Javante Green, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. A lot of uh, extension-eligible rotation guys on this team, and I wonder what's going to happen with them. What are your What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, uh, pretty much the entire bench is uh, up for up for some the sort bench of free agency mom. status. Uh, you know, uh, Andre Drummond and Derek Jones Jr. They have play options, and then necessarily, I, I can't imagine them them factoring into this conversation, but you, you hit on the big ones. Like Kobe is probably the most pressing one, given that the the timeline for, you know, former, former first round picks, that's 6 p.m. Uh, the 17th of October, Monday uh, in yeah, Eastern Standard Times in, in the US. So it's now time to understand what's happening with Kobe. Like there's been, I think, seven or eight guys in his draft class who have received contracts, the, the most recent of which being Brandon Clark, who received a four-year $52 million deal from the Grizzlies, which is an absolute steal for them. Um, do I foresee Kobe getting one, William? I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't. We haven't heard much noise about it at all. Seemingly last season, there was some reports that had, uh, Kobe was potentially on the on the trade block, obviously that didn't happen at the deadline, didn't happen in the offseason. I doubt it happens now, given that Lonzo is is hurt. Maybe if Lonzo comes back, Dale and, Dale and Terry showing some things in the first few months of the of the uh, of the regular season, then maybe the front office is more willing to to trade Kobe at that point in time at the deadline, or maybe they do something similar like they do with Lowry in, in a sign and trade situation next offseason. But um, for the moment, I'm not predicting anything for Kobe to get done because I just don't even know what number makes sense for Kobe. Like, I, 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 you, I, I have no idea um, what, what is a good number for Kobe. And, and maybe that's because he's just been so up and down, so inconsistent. And maybe from Kobe's point of view as well, like he doesn't want to necessarily sign an extension right now because maybe he feels like he can, he can play himself into a bigger number, maybe in the same way that uh, Javante Green has. So... I don't know what's going to happen with Kobe in terms of the long-term piece, but I'll be shocked if he gets extended before um, the deadline here. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's really any chance of that happening. Um, First of all, we haven't heard anything about the Bulls Mm. talking with him, uh, talking with his agent. And I think what you said really hits a nail on the head in terms of he's not going to want to extend right now because whatever the Bulls would be willing to give him is going to be less than what he thinks he's worth or will want to play for. So I think it's going to turn into a Lowry marketing situation, whether the bulls just outright match or they do a sign and trade, but like they're going to 
let Kobe test the market and, and see what the other teams think of Kobe in terms of his value. So I really just don't see that happening. And it makes sense for both sides, honestly, to not do that. So um, the, the interesting thing about Kobe and like whether or not they decide to, uh, to trade him, I think obviously like getting somebody's restricted bird rights is a, a value for a team that might trade for Kobe. But um, if you're the Bulls, like what are you hoping to get back for Kobe? Like what are your weaknesses? Your weaknesses are shooting and defense. Obviously he doesn't give you the defense part, but like he's one of two shooters on the team right now um, without Lonzo. It's like him and Zach. And so can the Bulls really afford to do that? Like they're not a high volume three-point shooting team, but can they lose a guy that shoots five threes a game? I don't know. Like you have to get some shooting back. And so um, maybe there's a team at the deadline who's in the Wembenyama sweepstakes um, where Kobe's a good fit and they want to take a chance on him and, and potentially sign him longer term. I could see that happening. Um, but yeah, it's just difficult for me to see anything getting done by tomorrow and really even like with this team longer term, it just feels like his time in Chicago is kind of done. Um, which is too bad because I think, you know, another, another high draft pick that didn't pan out. And I think just missing on five of those guys in a row is a really devastating for a team in a rebuild. Uh, we'll see what happens with Pat, but, um, I mean, Kobe has a chance here. He's, he's got his first healthy off season and in a while he seems to like, um, you know, I think he's made some progress and I think with that second unit where he can run up and down, maybe he looks a little bit better, but I am not super optimistic going into his extension. Um, I think the big one for me is, is Vooch. What do you, what do you think happens there? Yeah. Again, another one where I have no idea to be honest with you and, and maybe this one's not as pressing at least from a deadline point of view, uh, maybe maybe both parties would prefer to get a deal done before the regular season. But given that his extension deadline, if he wants to agree to one, is uh, June 30, 2023, like it's not as pressing as Kobe. But, you know, we've seen Stephen Adams, for example, reach a, a two-year $25 million extension with the with the uh, Grizzlies, Larry Nance, and the uh, the Pelicans reached a two-year $21.5 million deal. I, I, for me, at least, I think Vooch is better players than both. So, uh, whilst you can use them as a precedent of sorts, he would be doing so to say, I'm not coming back for anything less than 10 to $15 million because he his two centers who are good players, role, good role guys, but not necessarily guys that have the same level of importance on their team as someone like Vooch at least expects himself to, uh, to have. And maybe, you know, AK feels similarly. So I, I can't imagine him agreeing to an extension that pays him anything less than what he's currently earning, which is around, let's say, $20, $22 million. So if he comes back, it'll be on a deal that's, you know, two years, 40-something million dollars, or maybe it's a three-year, I don't know, 60-something million dollar deal, something like that, with the final year having some sort of contingencies in place. But um, I don't know. I have no idea with this one. I mean, this one could, could, I could see an extension happening. I could also see them just agreeing to something in the regular season. I don't think they're going to trade him, particularly if he's play, if he's playing the preseason carries over, they're not, they're definitely not going to trade him. So at that point, he becomes an unrestricted free agent, but I don't know. It kind of feels like he wants to be in Chicago. I assume AK would want to keep, keep him in Chicago if he plays well enough. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Vooch will be here beyond next season or beyond this season, but, uh, as to what the number is, and when they come to that number, uh, I think it's probably more likely later than than sooner. But you know, time will tell. I think I agree with most of that. I do think he probably ends up taking a little bit less money, whether it's with the Bulls or another team. Um, your point about him being more valuable to the Bulls than a Stephen Adams is to the Grizzlies is a good one, but I just think that these guys in general, their value is going down. They're all signing for shorter term sort of balloon deals that de-escalate. Um, and I just, I don't see a 30, I mean, he's going to be 32 on October 24th of this year. Um, I just, I don't see how any team would give him like 20 plus million dollars a year. And I think if you look at it from the Bulls perspective, like, yes, you want to protect the asset uh, that you traded for. No, you don't want to lose him for nothing. Um, I do think they will probably come to an extension or sign him in free agency, whichever makes more sense. But I do think he'll be back. And I would expect that number to be closer to 15 than the 22 it is right now. Um, 
you know, Jonas Valanciunas is making like 14 million. As you said, Steven Adams is making like 12. Like you just, you cannot pay these guys, especially Vooch who's older that much money. I do think Vooch will be better this year. And so maybe that goes up a little bit, but it's hard for me to see a world where, you know, he, he could get more than the bulls are giving him on the open market just because of the, the need and market for centers right now. So we'll see. I think this is probably the most, most complex one. Uh, obviously, Io and Javante are also going to be coming up, and and it feels like the Bulls probably have the most pressure to keep both of those two guys. Maybe not Javante, just because um, he's like not necessarily a super long term piece. Although you could argue he's, he's starting power forward, William. <laughs> you could argue he's one of the more important ones. Um, I don't know. What do you think Javante makes on the open market here? Uh, look, probably not a lot. Like he, maybe he's playing so. Well, uh, I think he could play himself off the free uh, the vet men, but like I, I could imagine him like getting to a point where he could sign like a two year, two year ten million dollar deal or like a three year sixteen million dollars or something like that. Like I think he's good enough to play himself out of that categorization that this guy you can just get him on a vet min for one year. I think he's I think he's better than that, and, and he will play himself out of that out of that space. But I don't think he's going to be someone that teams are going to be throwing mid-level money or anything like that at. Yeah, so, I don't think he's a mid-level guy. No, I think he I think he can get himself into like the four or five million dollar range per per season. But um, you know, it only takes one team. But uh time will tell. Obviously for, for the Bulls to give him that sort of money. Uh I would have to check the uh the rules, the the cap rules and those sorts of things. But because he's on a Vatman deal, I don't even know what his extension would look like at this stage or what's even possible to to do. Um and if that's not the case and the Bulls have to give him a number that's more than what he's extension eligible, then they may have to use a part of their exception to do so. Um, maybe some some cap wizard out there can correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's my understanding at this point. But um, that's me just literally thinking about it without referring to any documentation, which I probably should have done before speaking on it. But nonetheless... Um, what about Io? Uh, well, there, there, there are definitely... Uh, cap permutations around what you can and can't do with IO in terms of what teams can offer, what the Bulls can offer and those sorts of things. So uh, I have no idea. I think they definitely want to keep him. I think um, if a decision came between him and Kobe, that they're obviously picking IO in that particular instance. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's, I think a lot of it's going to be dependent on if another team wants to come in and try and steal him. And if that's the case, then the Bulls will probably have to match given that there's so much uncertainty around uh, Lonzo and you know maybe maybe Io plays at a level where Lonzo comes back and Lonzo's not even starting initially so um, I, I don't know what the number will be but I think he's going to be re-signed in Chicago I can't imagine they let him go and let him walk in free agency that would be <laughs> the AK administration would lose a lot of goodwill if that would happen that they let Io walk after two years like a Chicago kid walks in free agencies to some random other team um, that, that would be that would be a bad look from a pure from a pure PR perspective, I can't imagine it. Yeah, that is a really tough one. I think in some ways even more than Vooch because he's a younger player and not a aging player. Uh, you can take everything that five thirty eight says with a grain of salt, but on their um, player projections, they've got him uh, at forty five million over a five year period. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I-, I agree with you though; he's not going anywhere. Um, I think the Bulls are probably going to end up in the tax next year one way or another, but I don't think losing IO is really on the table. Um, that obviously is, is less a part of this season and more a longer term thing. But as we just sort of uh, reflect here on this episode, anything else you wanted to bring up in, in regards to the upcoming 22, 23 season um, in terms of the Bulls wins, projections, standings, any big storylines that you think we missed? No, I don't. I don't think so. But like we 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 just we just got done talking about contracts and extensions and and those sorts of things. And obviously, how 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 these players perform this season will ultimately dictate what their worth is next season. And you touched on it just then. Like the Bulls, if things go to plan and, and if things hopefully are you know hopefully the Bulls have a really good season. Maybe they do get past the first round in the playoffs. Um, that would be ideal. That would be fantastic to see. But if that were to happen then uh, it's going to be an interesting situation for the Reinsdorf. So I think that's going to be an interesting narrative that I certainly will be focusing on this season. Um, 
because irrespective of where the Bulls or how good they are, even if they hit like their median level, which is, like I said, getting to the postseason and having a good solid year, maybe replicable to, to, to what they did last year, the, uh, the Bulls are going to be an interesting precarious position whereby there's going to be some um, decisions made on their players and, and who, who gets paid and who stays and all those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's just going to be an interesting test case for the old dwarfs there. So we'll see what happens. We shall see. I'm still laughing at the fact that I picked the Bulls to, <laughs> to go 43 and 41. That just is not possible. Uh, all right, Mark. I, I think that wraps it, us, well, wraps it, it up. It could be possible if they get into the plane and lose two games, right? Not necessarily technically possible, but like if, if they play 84 games, like that's, that's possible. I appreciate you trying to rationalize that for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a bad outcome because like, if that's the case, then, well, maybe not, but not necessarily a bad outcome, I guess, depending. But yeah, yeah. I mean, One game I'm of playing play revenue at the gate. So that's good. Um, go. I, I think we'll call it, we'll call it there, Mark. Uh, great talking with you as always. And yeah, I mean, next time we talk, the Bulls will be in full swing, a couple of games under their belt. So curious to see how that goes. But for now, This has been the CHGO Bulls HQ edition with Mark K at MK Hoops and me at Will underscore Gottlieb. Follow us on Twitter, follow our work and our writing um, and our weekly podcast. And then Matt, Dave, and I will be back on Tuesday for our show then. So until then, I'm going to steal this from Matt Peck. See you, Red. Be good. (laughs) 